Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. Good morning, Overflow Church, and good morning, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. This is your house, and we want you to invade your house. We want you just to have a holy takeover, because anything that's going to happen this morning that's going to be eternal, Holy Spirit, it's going to be because you did it. So we receive you, Holy Spirit, and we receive your gifts. We don't have to earn them. We don't have to work for them. We don't have to be good enough for them. We just receive them. So we receive your gift of discernment. We receive words of knowledge, words of wisdom. We receive miraculous powers, faith, and healing. We receive supernatural prayer languages that we can lift our heart right to you with no hindrances and an understanding of those prayer languages. And Father, may our thoughts be so in tune with you that the words that we speak to one another will be truly prophetic. That we will be declaring on earth what you have already declared in heaven. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is Finding Your One Thing. So I want you to pray with me. Holy Spirit... Show me your one thing, and I will do it, for you have anointed me. See, the Holy Spirit has anointed you. Pam, you are anointed wherever you are now. Holy Spirit has anointed us. He doesn't just anoint some. He anoints us all. And we don't get others' anointings. That's for them. He has an anointing just for you. He has a one thing just for you. And all we need to do is just receive it. So Christmas time, right? What do you do with those gifts? Do you work for them, perform for them, take a shower so you're clean so you can receive it? No, you just receive it. You just receive the anointing. You receive the gifts. Holy Spirit wants us just to receive him. His plan for you is always best. So as I look around this morning... I first thought, man, did the rapture happen and we got left behind? (laughs) Well, we know that there are over 50 of our students and parents and youth workers who are on their way right now to Ohio, as our lead pastor Chuck Ammon shared. So I really sensed that we were to gather together our spirit as one and to pray for them. 
But first, uh, for us to say hello to them. So can everybody stand up and just look at the camera and just say, hey, we love you, and we're praying for you, and we bless you. Those of you who are still awake, some of you are probably sleeping right now, so you may be seated. So Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would come upon these students, and Holy Spirit, they wouldn't perform They would just come alive in you. They would just be who you created them to be. That that one thing that's in them would begin to emerge out of them. So Holy Spirit, come upon the young people. May they find truly their one thing. So I have a question. I want to begin with a question this morning. When you wake up in the morning, what, what, what wakes you up? Like, what, what really gets you going? I'm not talking about your alarm clock here. <laughs> All right. Like, like what, what really gets you excited? So when you wake up, you're like, yeah, good morning, Holy Spirit. I can't wait. That is your one thing. And if you don't have that, you need to get it because God wants you to have that. He wants you to wake up every morning like this. Watch this video. All right, I just want you to see yourself. That, 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 that's how the Lord wants you to wake up. So excited. <laughs> just bouncing around. We are Overflow Church. Say that. We are Overflow Church. Say, I am an overflower. That's overflowing. Would you say that's overflowing? <laughs> John 10.10. 10. Jesus made a declaration and a promise to you and I. He said, I have come. My very existence upon this earth is so that you could have life, life abundantly, Life to the fullest. Life in the overflow. I would say that that turtle was experiencing life in the overflow. And you know, when you know your one thing, when you know what God has designed for you, what he has gifted you, your personality, your talents, even your experiences are shaped around this one thing that he has created for you to do to bring him glory because it's all about him. See, it's not, it's not for your glory. It's for his glory. But it's your glory that gives him glory. So he wants you to know your one thing. So Isabel, she shared some of the context of our passage we're going to look at this morning, Luke chapter 10, verse 42, where Lazarus invited Jesus over for dinner. Can you imagine inviting Jesus over, having Jesus over at your house for dinner? And you're going to respond a little differently than the next person in your household. Martha, she was a perfectionist. She was a server. She was a get-her-done person. And do you know that Jesus loved Martha as well? Because otherwise, no one would have eaten. And the house would have been a mess. It wasn't that Martha did anything wrong. 
It was that she took her eyes off what her one thing was, and she put her eyes on what someone else's one thing was. And don't we do that? And all of a sudden, we want their one thing because maybe it looks better. Maybe it shines greater. Maybe it has more glitter. So Martha, in getting ready for Jesus to come, she, she just wanted everything perfect. And so she drafted Mary to help her. And all Mary wanted to do was just sing <laughs> and just worship and get ready for Jesus to show up. So when Jesus showed up, Martha continued to clean and put things in order. Mary went right to the feet of Jesus, where her older brother, her big brother Lazarus was, and where the other disciples were, the other men. Martha wasn't the only person who was criticizing Mary. The disciples were like, hey, get up there and cook. You, shouldn't you be cleaning? I believe that Mary sat right at the feet of Jesus so that nothing could distract her between her and Jesus. She didn't hear all the other voices. So listen uh, to what Jesus had to say. So he said this to Martha. Martha, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Your, your sister Mary has discovered it. She has discovered her one thing. Mary was to be prophetic. Mary was to be a worshiper. Mary was to be an intercessor. We need worshipers. We need intercessors. Uh, some of my spiritual sons that I mentor, they have three-hour worship services, and I bless them, but that's way too long for me. <laughs> they want to worship like an hour and a half. I'm good one or two, maybe three songs, and, and I'm good with Jesus. And he's okay with that, you understand? Because I'm ready to rule, I'm ready to conquer, I'm ready to go do something for him. That's how he made me. I'm more like Martha than Mary, but I have the heart of Mary as a Martha. I love Jesus. I want to change the world for him. I want to transform the world for Jesus, but I don't want to do it at his feet. Now, there's not times where I'm at his feet. Okay? But that's not, where I'm, that's not where I both most come alive. That's not my one thing. So it wasn't that Martha had necessarily missed her one thing. If she just didn't know that was her one thing. So Jesus said to Martha, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Your sister Mary has discovered it. She has discovered her one thing, and her one thing will not be taken away from her. So Mary found her one thing, and she didn't care what anyone else thought. She was going to do it. She wasn't going to let anyone else keep her from it. You know, there are a lot of people who will keep you from your one thing. They'll criticize you. They'll complain that you're not doing what they believe you should be doing because it is what? It is their one thing. Martha 
She needed to find her one thing. She was doing it. She just didn't realize it. And when you don't know what your one thing is, you will begin to criticize those who are really going after their one thing. And you'll even begin to complain about you doing your one thing. And you'll think it's lesser. You'll think it's not anointed. But I want to tell you something. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if there has been a time in your life where you humbled yourself and said, God, I can't live this life without you, and forgive me for trying to. That's called sin. Sin is amartia. It's two Greek words. Ah, meaning miss, martia, the mark, or, or the target. When we try to live our lives apart from Jesus, we miss the target. And we'll never know our one thing. So, Martha should have just stayed in her lane and felt great satisfaction at cooking a meal for Jesus. Can you imagine cooking a meal for Jesus? Pro providing an environment that would welcome Jesus? Do you, don't you think Jesus was pleased with Martha? It wasn't what Martha had did that was wrong. It was what she had said about Mary. I heard a great definition of a Christian fanatic. A Christian fanatic is someone who loves Jesus more than you. Isn't that what we'll call them? They're, they're a fanatic. See, see Christian fanatics, they, they make us uncomfortable because they're running after their one thing. And it reminds us that we're not. So we'll excuse ourselves by criticizing them. And what I want to say to you is, just find your one thing. And don't worry about anyone else's one thing. Just do your one thing, because your one thing is needed. So dream big, because God's got big dreams for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you. And I'm pointing at each of you. <laughs> For I know the plans, the Lord says, that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. He's not holding anything back on you. God's not anointing Ken Ackerman, but he's not anointing you. He has anointed you by your very name, Christian. It means you're an anointed one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to bless you, to reign his favor on you to give you hope and a future. God has big dreams for you. He has, a, he has a one thing for you that will bring him glory, but your glory has to come out to bring him glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible says that you can't even think or imagine what God has prepared for you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. It's, it's, it's only in heaven. It's, it's so heavenly that you can't imagine it. So Robin and I, we um, had our 40-year wedding anniversary, which in itself is a miracle. And those of you who know me well know that is a true statement. For Robin to put up with me, Jonathan, 40 years. Nicole understands this. 
for Robin to put up with me for 40 years. That's a miracle. She was anointed to put up with me for 40 years. And that's not the only thing she was anointed for. Anyway, so we went on our 40-year uh, anniversary. We went on a cruise to Jamaica. And while we were in Jamaica, of course, you know, they want you to stay in that main city there. What's the main city there, Ken, that you go to with the, the boat? They have all, it's, everything's perfect. The capital. So anyway, this place is just, everything's immaculate. The buildings, the hotels, everything's immaculate. But we wanted to go see a waterfall that was in the interior. So we got on this bus, and Jamaica is poor. Everyone else is poor. It's only that 10%, but 90% is poor, poverty. So we were on the bus, and on the way, we passed this store right next to a house. And this is it right here. And he named his store Walmart. <laughs> you know, he didn't spell it right. <laughs> but you know what? Here is a man who said, you know what? I, I, I'm going to think small. I mean, I'm, I'm going I'm to start small, but I'm going to think big. I'm going to dream big, and I'm going to move with the movers. You, you need to find the movers, those who, who, who want to empower you, who want to believe in you, who want to come alongside you, who want to help you with your one thing. Stay away from your critics. Don't listen to them. And don't listen to the people who will complain about all the things that you're not doing. Build your Walmart, even, even if you have to start like this. But just start somewhere. You know, your, your one thing has to begin somewhere. So start small, think big, and move with the movers. So God bless you, Walmart man. <laughs> I'd love to see, I'd love to come back and see that store grow. The Apostle Paul, he found his one thing. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. This is so key. Because you can find your one thing and then get distracted from your one thing. I've seen a lot of people get distracted. They started on the path and they got distracted. They got discouraged. So Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, The one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal, toward the one thing, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, Paul found his one thing, and he was focused on it. And nothing was going to deter him, distract him, or hold him back, not even his past and Paul, who grew up as Saul, had a sordid past. And he thought he did it for God. He was arresting families, men, women, and children, throwing them in prison. Some were killed. Don't you think that there were people who were reminding Paul of his past? Don't you think the enemy was reminding Paul of his past? Do you think when Paul wrote these words, the one thing, I'm focused on the one thing, do you think there was a reason why he was focused on the one thing? Because people were continually trying to remind him of his past. There are a lot of people who are not fulfilling their one thing because they're allowing others 
to turn their focus to their past. But you know that Jesus doesn't even know your past? If you believe the Bible. The Bible says that God has taken our amartya, our sin, where we've missed the target, and he's thrown it in the sea of forgetfulness. He's taken our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, the north will eventually reach the south, and the south will eventually reach north, but east will never reach west. You'll continually go east, or you'll continually go west. So God has forgotten your sin. So if, if you are praying and you begin to talk to God about a previous sin, he goes, what are you talking about? What? That's under the blood of Jesus. That's, on, that's at Calvary. That's on the cross. I know nothing about that. So if the Father knows nothing about your past, why bring it up? So I have had the opportunity to minister restoration to many people. And one of the places that the enemy uses people to hold them back, to have them look back to their past, is that D word. You know that D word is? Divorced. Now, divorce is missing God's target for marriage, right? Amartya, right? It's missing his target. Does God also forget that? Does he throw that in the sea of forgetfulness when we miss that target? So I've told people who have been divorced, I've said, on earth, people see you divorced. In heaven, God knows nothing about it. Who do you want to come into agreement with? Be free in Jesus' name. Your divorce is not holding God back from anything in your life, nor any other sin. So Paul said, yes, I have a past, but I'm not going to look at my past. I'm going to focus on the one thing. And if someone reminds me of the past, I'm going to ignore them because the Father is, and I'm going to stay in agreement with the Father. So some of you, you need to forget your past, but some of you, you need to forgive yourself of your past. Last night, uh, Rob and I, we have time together each night, and, and um, we read together, and, and as I'm preparing this message, and I'm going to share my testimony of God showing me my one thing, it reminded me of something that I did, and I was broken. It just hurt me all over again. It's like I was there again, and, and Robin doesn't even have a clue, but I just put my hand on her arm, and I said, thank you, Jesus, for Robin. I refocus from how I hurt her to how I love her. Do you see that? And I forgave myself of that. So the past will come up, but you refocus. Refocus, forgive yourself, refocus, because I'm not that person anymore. And that person is behind the cross now. He, he's dead. So I can't keep holding him accountable. He's a dead man. And I would never do that again. If I could go back, I would undo it. That shows that that, that, that is a dead man. 
Some of you need to forgive yourself. Some of you need to forgive others. There's others who are holding you back from your one thing. You need to forgive them. Maybe you had a father or mother who didn't release blessing on you, who instead cursed you and said, you're going to be a loser, you're going to end up in jail. You need to forgive them. You need to release them. And you need to say, Father, whatever blessing my father or mother did not release to me, I receive from you right now because of Jesus. And he will do it. He is a God of restoration. When I meet with someone for restoration, I tell them, everything that was missed in your childhood or your early teenage years or whatever, Jesus wants to and will restore that right now. Any blessing that wasn't given to you, any favor that wasn't released, we can go to the Father. He's a good, good Father, and He'll release it in your life. All that was, all that was missing in your life, He will release it because He's a good Father, and every good and perfect gift comes from Him. So have you discovered your one thing? Because it will change everything. It will change everything. It was New Year's Day, January 1st, 1986. Robin and I had packed up all of our belongings which wasn't a whole lot. <laughs> We'd only been buried three years. And we put in a U-Haul truck, and we were leaving Maryland, heading for Texas, heading for a dream. In order to do that, we had to leave everything behind, literally. Two weeks prior to that, I worked as long as I could because we needed all the money we could get to go on this journey going to seminary. So I, just two weeks prior to that, I met with my boss, the chief operating officer of the third largest savings bank in Maryland. And I resigned my position. And he tried to convince me to stay. And he said, Lynn, you have what it takes. You could become the youngest vice president of a bank in the state of Maryland. You could make a lot of money. You're not gonna make, he said that you're not gonna make a lot of money becoming a minister. He said that word for word. And then I said this to him. I didn't have it pre-planned. It's like what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will give you the words when you need them. So I said to him, Sir, I would rather change lives that will last for eternity than to make money that will be temporary. I said it gently, I said it humbly, but I said it right from my spirit because I meant it. And when I went to college and when I graduated college, the only thing I, my goal was just not to be poor. So the enemy knew exactly what to say to me through that, through that boss. Because poverty, I grew up poor and I didn't want to be poor. That was the easier meeting. Two weeks prior to that, I had met with my parents. And my father had died when I was seven. My stepfather had raised me. I called him dad. I didn't care if I had his blood or not. I saw him as my dad. I loved him as my dad. And I wanted to please him. Just like all of us as sons and daughters, we want to please our dads. It's in us. 
So I, I know he was the one who encouraged me to go to college. He was so proud of me in this banking position. He would tell all of his friends, and my dad and my son's in this position, and it works right at the top level of this bank. And I would hear him brag about me. And you, we want that, right? So dads, brag about your children. So when I met with my, my dad and my mom to tell them that I, had, I was going to resign from my position, I hadn't done it yet, I was going to resign from my position, Robin was going to resign from her nursing position at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. My dad, and my dad is like Chris Thomas, just easygoing, tells jokes, happy, just happy. You know, he was, he was an alcoholic. He was a happy drunk, so I call him. But he, was, he never beat me. He was never mean to me. He was just a happy drunk who's irresponsible. But he was happy. <laughs> he was a happy drunk. And I, and I, and I loved him. And I, and I wanted his approval. I've never seen him more furious with me. Never seen him angry. He didn't have any hair. His whole face and head became red like a strawberry. He was so angry. You're going to throw away your career to become a minister? Like he spit the word out. My mom couldn't even speak. She just started bawling, started crying. My mom had lost three children up to that time. I was her only son. I was stability of my, we had a really dysfunctional family. I was a more stable one. It was tough. But that was nothing compared to having to tell Robin's parents. <laughs> that I was taking their firstborn daughter to Texas and was not planning on coming back to Maryland. So, you know, you've heard the saying, they grew up on the other side of the track. So Robin grew up wealthy. Her, her dad at one time was in Business Week, front pages. For, he was a mortgage banker. Um, front cover, very wealthy, lived in a country club. So when I met with Robin, with her parents, they were just disgusted with me. Just disgusted. And said, your children are going to be poor. They're going to run around barefoot in their underwear. <laughs> living in a shack. So we left everything behind. We left our family. We left our friends. We left our church. We loved our church. I was the youth director. I wasn't paid. I was a volunteer. The youth pastor had, had moved on, and I took the position. I just did it voluntary. And God, it exploded it. It was growing. We left our home. We had just bought a home. We left it all behind and left on January 1st for Texas for the largest seminary in the world, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. The first day of orientation, the dean of theology met with us, the theology students. And he said, these were his first words, 50% of you, over 50% of you aren't going to graduate. Either Greek or Hebrew will stop you. Those were his words. Either if it's not Greek, then it will be Hebrew. 
but you, don't, you won't have what it takes. And then he said, of those of you who do graduate, which will be less than 50%, only 40% of you will ever become full-time lead pastors. He said the average size of a church is 75. So most of you will become bivocational pastors, and some of you will never be paid. You'll just be a volunteer pastor. Of those of you who do become lead pastors, only 10% of you will finish the race. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have finished the race. I have fought the fight. Only 10% of you will finish. And then he went on to tell a parable that Jesus had spoken of. He said, what king, before he goes out to battle, does not count his troops to determine whether he can win or not? Or what man, before he builds a building, does not first count the cost to see if he has the resources and the materials needed to finish the building. So this dean of theology, who had seen a lot of students who were called by their mamas or their papas or their great uncles or their grandpapa, and not by the Lord Jesus, to be a lead pastor, was trying to let us know right from the very beginning, count the cost. So as he was saying that, I was like, wow, man, I quit my job. I had to tell my parents. I had to tell her parents. What other costs could there be? I want to tell you something. There were a lot more to come. So as I was preparing this message and just kind of thinking about my own story, finding my one thing, I thought about the parable that Jesus told of the man who found a treasure in a field. And he sold all that he had to purchase that field, not for the field, but for the treasure. The treasure being Jesus and Jesus empowering you with that one thing. And so I thought, Jesus, wow, what a journey it has been. I never regretted, I've never regretted selling everything to buy that field. Jesus has been my treasure. And I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to be of that 10%. I'm going to, I'm going to stay on the race. Je- Jesus may get me tonight, or right now. You may see me go. <laughs> but I'll, I'll go with no regrets. I'll go with no regrets. So we, we have an opportunity uh, today to hear from a young man who's just beginning his journey. This is Sidney Johnson. Could we welcome Sidney Johnson? So as most of you know, um, Overflow Church, uh, we started at South Brandon Baptist Church when I came here uh, in um, 1997. And then uh, just two or three years later, um, we felt like South Brandon Worship Center best reflected who we are. 
Uh, and then more recently, we became Overflow Church as Pastor Chuck wrote a book called Life in the Overflow. And, and we began to really take those values and those principles of life in the overflow. And, and so the Holy Spirit really spoke to me that Chuck must increase, I must decrease here at Overflow. And, and we changed our name and our vision, our values, and we've been flowing as Overflow. And then uh, Overflow Church has sent me out uh, to be a spiritual father in this region. Uh, and to mentor uh, young pastors and to help them to learn from both my mistakes and some of the things I got right. I didn't get everything wrong. I got some <laughs> things right. Uh, and so I am a part of an organization uh, called Tampa Bay for Christ. It's a regional nonprofit uh, ministry whose goal is to, uh, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with a million uh, men, women, and children, giving them multiple opportunities to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and then to disciple them. And no one church is going to be able to do that. So we are bringing the church together. One of the events that we have, as you know, is To Gather. To Gather started here three years ago, started on our property. We just met at the Sun Dome, and God's just going to continue to do that, bring churches together. But it's more than just To Gather. Uh, we meet um, monthly. I have a Brandon uh, Minister's Connection where I meet with pastors. Uh, there are six others. There's another one getting ready to start in Riverview. Uh, my wife, Robin, leads a Minister's Connection for women. So God is really doing some remarkable things from Overflow Church. It's amazing. So do not despise small beginnings because God is a big God. So this ministry called Tampa Bay for Christ, um, one of the things, one of our visions, one of our goals is to bring church planters into our region uh, to help us to achieve our goal of reaching these million people here in the Tampa Bay region. So uh, we have started an internship program where we're going to uh, hire seniors uh, who are in Christian schools uh, anywhere around our nation in this instance um, Sydney is from Liberty University uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia. He's a senior uh, getting ready to uh, graduate. And uh, I don't want to tell a story yet. Uh, but uh, Sydney has been serving the one church of Tampa Bay. You know when Jesus looks at a church, he sees one church of Tampa Bay. So Sydney, through Tampa Bay for Christ, has been serving the one church. He's been going to a different church each week, and he's been helping them for a week. And so, uh, so Sydney, uh, we, we get to you today, and so um, good to have you here, Sydney. Thank you. It's been a joy working with you this summer and getting to know you. And so they kind of heard uh, my journey uh, for my one thing, and I thought, you know, maybe they can hear your journey as you are just beginning uh, to, to find and discover your one thing. So kind of tell us where you are in your journey as you're, as you're really running after your one thing. Yeah, that's so good. And thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here at Overflow with uh, Pastor Lynn and everyone here. Um, so my kind of journey starts all the way kind of back in like childish years. Um, I had a very dysfunctional family and that caused me to have to rely on myself and like be in a state of survival 24-7. And so my entire life, I always kind of like Pastor Lynn wanted to get out of there, just be, be successful enough, make enough money to have enough prestige to be get out of that situation and circumstance that God had kind of put me in. And so my entire life, I was just saying, like, how could I make enough money? And I only cared about myself and just getting out from that circumstance. Um, so much so that 
God had blessed in a lot of different ways growing up that I ended up having a full ride to the University of Florida. I was going to go there, had a full ride. They were going to pay me money to go to college there, and it was going to be an incredible time and opportunity. Um, And then my junior year, I went to a church camp, and something radically different changed. Like I said, I only cared about myself. I was a salutator, and God had blessed in a lot of different ways throughout my life. And when I was at this church camp, this guy named Jeremiah stood up and asked to share his story. But this church camp was a little different from every other church camp that I'd ever been to. It wasn't people I knew. It was a hundred different strangers who were about to be seniors and different schools and areas around the, around the world. And then we were all gathered in this one place. Our high school, our college na- woman named Heather kind of was leading the discussion. And she goes, yes, share your story. And Jeremiah began to share about there was only two people who loved him in his entire life, his mom and his grandparents. He began to share about he, when he was born, there was complications and his mom got sick. And over the next kind of years, she began to suffer because of this disease, because of this childbirth of himself. And his entire family blamed him. They would abuse him. They would do terrible things to him, tie him to trees, just all sort of bullying, all sorts of crazy things. And he began to explain that his last year, like over about a year ago from this moment, when I was about to be a senior, about to get all the dreams that I've been accomplishing and working so hard for, um, he began to explain that his mom over the last six months died, or about a year ago. And he goes, it didn't matter because there were still my grandparents who loved me and cared for me and thought I was valuable, that I had a place to be cared for. And he said six months later from his mom's death, his, current, his grandparents got in a car crash and died. And I remember sitting there and I was like, okay, there's going to be a but Jesus moment. Because there's always a but Jesus moment when you're in the church. There's always like, oh, but Jesus came and transformed me. Um, and he goes, and then they died. And he realized that not a single person on the entire planet cared if he lived or died, Mm. that he was not valuable or loved at all. Um, And so he kind of talks about his walk with suicide and all sorts of different things. The person who was the most joyful person at the camp, he always wore a smile. He was super kind and compassionate. And he kind of starts talking about how all these things happened. His drugs, sex, addiction, whatever that he was going through, that he couldn't fill the void. He then turned to suicide and he tried to commit suicide But his youth leader actually saved him. But his father blamed him for being selfish to the family. And so we're all waiting for that. But Jesus came and transformed my life. And then he explains that he decided to join the U.S. military to go out to Afghanistan. And he picked the highest risking mortality rate job because he's going to die for his country. Because then it's not suicide, it's patriotism. And I'm waiting for this but Jesus moment. And then he sits down. And then what I saw next was incredible. The spirit, a hundred people didn't know each other. We spent the next six to eight hours just kind of sharing all the hurts and the pains and the brokenness and the consequences of sin. People started explaining that they were addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to sex. Leaders started confessing things where it was like, you probably shouldn't be a leader, but you're here. Um, It was craziness. And they started sharing this. And these 70, 80 people I've never met in my life who looked like they had everything together were broken in despair. It was a moment where Jesus was like, your life is so much bigger than you, Sydney, or the amount of money you can make, the amount of pride or accumulation of success you can have. There's something way more important. So as a Christian, everyone's one thing is the gospel, that we believe the gospel is sufficient, that it's powerful enough to change lives. Only Jesus can do that. And so in that moment, I kind of felt called to ministry. So my big one thing would be I feel my entire life is committed to, to be a pastor and wow. to steward people like Jeremiah. Um, but even a smaller, kind of bigger, encompassing one thing is I have a burden for lost people. Yeah. Um, I have a burden that every man, woman, and child yeah. 
may encounter the risen and resurrected Jesus Christ and give it ample opportunities to do that. Because people are broken all around us. Um, Jeremiah is a great example of that. But yeah, so that's kind of my big one thing. I love lost people. So I'd much rather talk to lost people than save people. I'm the abnormal person in the church, I know. But that's my passion. Yeah, and you do it well. I appreciate that. To just spend time with you. Yes. So, uh, you know, Sydney, so I, I kind of shared some of the obstacles, some of the things that I had to give up. Some were good things. You know, I, mean, I, was, I was in my sweet zone, my, my joy zone with my, I loved my banking job. It wasn't like I gave up some, hey, I loved it. I was good at it. I have a mind for money. So there were things I had to get. We just bought a home, left our family. So, you know, you know, we have to, you know, Jesus said, if anyone wants to live, they got to die, which means you got to live your life with your hands open. You're not holding on. Whatever you hold on to is going to eventually rip our hands. So, so what, have, what has been, I know you're young, you're 21, right? So it's 22. Uh, 22, sorry about that. <laughs> missed it by a year. Uh, so you know, what have you seen so far that you've had to sacrifice to, to chase this one thing uh, that, that God has called you to? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is every day I have to wake up and sacrifice my own comfort, my own comfort or convenience or what I believe I should be doing and like my own pride and arrogance, just be like, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm a living vessel. I'm an ambassador of God. That's more important. That's my identity. But like some more bigger things in my life, um, strategically, like number one, not going to the University of Florida. That's a big deal. Yeah. So like I had a full ride. I was actually going to get paid there. And like fun fact about me, I don't get anxious about anything but money. Um, And so they were like, now I have to go to Liberty and pay them and then take out student loan for me to go to a school that I don't even really want to go to when my best friend and I were supposed to room together. So it's supposed to be like this nice comfort, convenient. And I had to kind of say no to that and say like, God, you have a plan and a purpose. And then specifically once I graduated undergrad, so I have my, I'm working on my master's of divinity. Um, After I graduated my undergrad, I was running from my calling. I was gonna go to a lawyer, I had taken the LSAT, I got everything ready to go to law school, had gotten in, I had done all the stuff that I needed to do. I was running from that calling until I finally submitted, and I turned away from a, a luxury like law career. Um, again, I was gonna go to the University of Florida, oddly enough, but, and I ran to like seminary. It was something that was super hard for me to do to give up being successful and famous. Specifically at that time, which you don't know this, is I had a girl that I was very serious with, and her big thing is she didn't want to marry a pastor. And so like for me, giving up that meant like, wow. someone that I love dearly. And so for me, there's kind of those two college decisions, and then also, um, Brooke was her name, but she's super sweet. So you've already had to do what Jesus said about counting the cost, you know, and and you know whatever your one thing is, and and your one thing isn't necessarily being a pastor. You just happen to have two pastors here. Hello. Uh, yeah, your 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 one thing, like for my wife, her one thing was to be a nurse. So she has served a nurse at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. That's where uh, uh, John Hinckley, who shot Ronald Reagan, was in the hospital. You know, and. She's uh, served on a cancer uh, uh, floor as a head nurse there. Uh, she's been a nurse practitioner. Uh, she's worked at the emergency room here in Brandon. Now she's a professor. Now she's making disciples of nurses. So, you know, that's her one thing. And, and that's what gets her up in the morning. That's what she loves to do. She wants to see people healthy in their body, soul, and spirit. So your one thing is, is not being a pastor. You know, it, you need to, it, there's a one thing that God's created you for, uh, that, that you are best at, that you're going to bring glory. Your glory is going to shine to the Lord. So, so you've already had to count uh, really some of the costs, you know, given a 
full ride at University of Florida and be a lawyer, a girlfriend that you love. So you've been serving here now uh, since May, right? Uh, the, yes, sir. The One Church of Tampa Bay. And so I think your first event I met you was at Together at the Sundome. Uh, and uh, so, uh, so just kind of tell us, uh, you know, from an outsider, what are you seeing God doing in the One Church of Tampa Bay? And then share one highlight that you've had personally during this internship. Yeah, that's a really good question. God's doing something unique, and I think you guys have heard this time and time again, in Tampa Bay, where the pastors and the leaders, and also just a congregation of the Christians in Tampa Bay, there's a spirit of collaboration, where it's less about the castle of Overflow or Abilene or whatever your church name is, and it's more about the kingdom of God where everything that they look for is less about like, hey, how do we build up our church buildings or the amount of bodies are in chairs? But it's all about, do people know Jesus? Like the overarching question of like, if our church grows, but our city becomes more and more lost, is that a win for the kingdom of God? And that sort of like kingdom mindset, that kingdom perspective, that refocusing as Pastor Lynn talked about, is something that the pastors of Tampa Bay do so well as long as with the congregations. And the, the sort of unity and oneness that I've experienced um, from all the key leaders and pastors of Tampa Bay is something unique, it's something to be sought after, and it's something to be encouraged, equipped other pastors in different regions geographically to embrace. Um, the way that they work together is something that's very rare. And so some, you guys have something special here, um, and that's something that God's doing, there, that spirit of collaboration, even in all sorts of areas. Um, and the different cross-denominational thing is unheard of. Like, we have Southern Baptists to Pentecostals to name a denomination, and they're all working together, that they can agree on this one thing, that the gospel changes lives, mm -hmm. and that we want every man, woman, and child to know the gospel and have an experience to interact with that. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, that sense of unity, that we can disagree on secondary issues because we're all going to eventually share heaven one day, as long as we all agree that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That sort of unity is unheard of, and it's something to be admired. Um, so that's been kind of my biggest kind of observation, um, especially even cross-racially. Like the unity that we have there is, is something that's incredible. Um, and then for me personally, part of my responsibilities this summer has been missional communities. And so I have like a small group who meet in Ebor and another small group who meet at USF. And we've been able just to do life together. These are people who did not even know who Jesus were this summer. Like they didn't, before I like we had taught conversations, they were like, I don't know who Jesus is, bro, you're crazy. Um, and then so over the summer, we've been able to like intentionally just pursue them. We call these words pre-Christians, people who have maybe never encountered Jesus but are interested. Um, and so for the last kind of 10 weeks, we've been able to play basketball and pickleball and do life with them incarnationally to be Jesus's to them. And I've got to see a couple of them give their life to Jesus and kind of commit their the rest of their lives to him. And it's special when a youth does that because yeah, yeah. they have entire life to follow yeah, Jesus. That's right. So that's been kind of my favorite part. Um, and I can kind of give you a couple of their names. But that's been my favorite part is just seeing people um, who never even knew or heard of Jesus kind of transform their lives. So I, I was uh, in the back prayer room with Sydney, and you know, just continuing to hear his dreams, and he really feels like God wants to call him back uh, to Tampa Bay area to plant a church. So can we, as representatives of the Tampa Bay, the One Church, can we receive Sydney Johnson as a church planner to our region? Thank you. you. So um, I had an opportunity to to pray over Sydney, but I'm really sensing. 
uh, that Overflow Church is to pray a blessing over you. Uh, Overflow Church really is apostolic. We, we have a spirit of sending and seeing God uh, do some wonderful things. So let's pray for Sydney as a church and, and just release what God has for you. Uh, he may play something very specific in your heart to pray for Sydney. So let's just take a, a couple moments just to be quiet and just begin to pray for Sydney. You've heard a story. Come into agreement with what heaven is declaring over Sydney. Father, your word says through the Apostle Paul to Timothy to stir up the gifts that were given through the laying on of hands. The gifts that were given, Sidney didn't need to earn them, work for them, get clean or get right for them. He just needed to receive them because, Father, the one thing that you've called him to, he's going to need gifts for. He's going to need talents for. He's going to need the personality and the experiences. So, Father, what I'm hearing you say is, Holy Spirit, fire of God, stir it up. Stir up. Fan the flame, Father. Fan the flame. Fan the passion. And anywhere the enemy has tried to put a wet blanket over Sydney, we remove it. We burn it up in Jesus' name. Father, wherever there would be a Martha, who isn't fulfilling her one thing and begins to criticize Sydney for him being a fanatic for Jesus. Father, that Sydney will, will forgive that person and as Jesus said, to pray over them, to bless them. Anywhere where someone's complaining that Sydney isn't doing enough or doing something else, that Sydney will just bless them and pray for them. But he won't become distracted. He won't become deterred. He won't become discouraged. He'll stay, as the Apostle Paul said, he'll stay focused on that one thing, that heavenly calling that's upon his life. So we receive Sidney Johnson. We, as representatives, as a church in Tampa Bay, we receive Sidney Johnson as a gift from you, Father, to plant a church in Tampa Bay. Amen. Can we give it up one more time for Sidney? Thank you so much, Sydney. So if you would uh, stand with me, I, I have two homework assignments for you today. Yes, I know, it's summer. You're going to like my homework assignments, all right? Uh, so uh, the first one, obviously, has been my message. And that is, if, if you don't know your one thing, don't be like Martha and start criticizing those or complaining about those. Find your one thing. And then I want to encourage you to join a missional community if you're not in one. If you're in one, share with your missional community this week, next time you meet, share with them what you believe is your one thing. Have them come into agreement with you and to begin to pray for you, just as we did for Sydney. Come into agreement. 
And you're going to need some people. You're going to need a spiritual father, spiritual mother. You're going to need some friends who are going to help you because, listen, going after your one thing isn't easy. There are obstacles. So begin to surround yourself with support, with encouragers who will help you. Now, the second homework assignment, I had to pass through Robin. Okay, you understand that? Those of you who know me, you understand. I had to pass this one through Robin. So uh, I'm kind of old. So I saw a movie in 1991. It was called City Slickers. It's a comedy uh, starring Billy Crystal. And it was about uh, these three best friends from New York City who lost their way. They were in a midlife crisis. Uh, They didn't know what their one thing was. And they went to a dude ranch in Arizona, of all places, to find their one thing. Um, Now, I would encourage you, Nicole and Jonathan, to watch this family movie. It's not a family movie, okay? (laughs) Do y'all get that? Am I okay with that? I'm not promoting a lot was in the movie. Can y'all help me? Don't send me any emails. (laughs) Say, Len, how could you in church tell us to watch it? It's PG-13. All right, and that's 1991, PG-13. Uh, so, uh, but, but really, the, the message in the movie, I, I think there are a lot of good things, especially uh, when you get to Curly, and, he's, and, they're, and they're sitting around the campfire. I want to spoil the movie. Um, but listen to Curly. He really has some great counsel. So uh, if you would, just close your eyes with me. Because um, I, I really believe that God has given me a mantle as a spiritual father, as an apostle, one who births, builds, and then sends. So, uh, Father, birth right now. Birth. Release callings in your people. Father, some need to germinate. They need to come alive. There are seeds that have been there. Holy Spirit, water them. Bring them to life. There, there have been people who have been criticizing and complaining and holding them back. Lord, some have been holding themselves back because of their past. But Holy Spirit of God, just let these seeds come alive. I speak life to them. Lord, let let life come. Life comes, abundant life. Your your Zoe life that you spoke of in John 10.10. The play Roma, come alive. Come alive. Come alive, people of God. Come alive. God has created you. He's given you a one thing. There's, there's, there's a one thing that you're extraordinary at. You're supernatural at. And we need it. The kingdom of God needs it. Overflow Church needs it. Spirit, you give life. You anoint us. Say, I am anointed. I am anointed. I don't need to ask for it. I don't need to want someone else's. I have it. God has anointed you. Come to know your anointing. Come to know what your grace gift is, a as an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Know your gifts of the Spirit that you walk in in 1 Corinthians 12, the foundational gifts, Romans 12. Begin to 
to recognize who you are in your one thing. Holy Spirit, come alive. Come alive in your church. Some of our pastors and elders will be right here at the front. If you would like someone to, to pray for you, we'll wait and pray with you. If God has been stirring you and you want someone just to come into agreement with you, don't leave until someone comes into agreement with you. In Jesus' name.